Hello, listeners. Before we begin this episode of Screw It, we're just going to talk about comics. We want to quickly promote a new giveaway that's happening over at our friends at Shortboxed. Shortboxed, as our longtime listeners know, is an online marketplace where you can buy and sell graded comics. Today, they're giving away a near-perfect copy of Uncanny X-Men 184. This was originally published in May of 1984, written by, you know it, Chris Claremont, and drawn by John Romita Jr. This issue features, among other things, Will, mm -hmm. the debut of Hunky Technopath Forge. Ooh, la la. Go right now, listeners, to shortbox.com slash screw it, enter your email, and you'll be in the running for this. There is no cost to enter. You'll get an email giving you a 10% discount to use Shortbox if you want. And we're actually going to be going over X-Men 184 in today's episode. It's Synergy. Mm. And so we're excited that our listeners can win a free copy of it. Once again, go right now to shortbox.com slash screw it. This giveaway runs until June 15th, 2022. All right, Kevin, let's start the episode. Right, let me see if I can find it. Screw it, screw it. We're just going Hello and welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, everybody. The only podcast in all of recorded human history and all that has ever happened where two brothers talk to each other about something they like. I am one of the two brothers slash comedian-ish slash comic book fans slash hosts, Will Hines. I'm the other one, and I'm Kevin Hines, I believe. Keep that, keep that straight because we sound a lot alike, so it's easy to yeah. get that confused. Uh, we're the Milk Sops. We love comic books. Um, I'm just fully adopting that as our thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is a mutants and mailbags episode where we go over some issues from Chris Claremont's X-Men run in the first half. Really, it's more like three quarters. Then we take a break and we uh, read some email from our listeners. Um, yeah, that's right. Today we're covering issues 181, 182, 183, and you guessed it, 184. <laughs> Um, yeah, the X-Men are back from the secret wars, mm -hmm. although the comic, the readers of the comics at this time would not known what happened in the secret wars because that was still being published, but, uh, they're back and dealing with stuff, right, Kev? We got subplots galore going on in these issues. Yeah. I feel like most of the fallout from the secret wars is pretty well explained right away. And uh, I mean, for the X-Men. Yeah, for the X-Men. So I sort of feel like if you if you read this and I'm like, oh, how'd all this stuff happen? And you read the X-Men, 99% of it is like just how you'd – the Colossus thing might be the only thing that you have to watch play out a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that's it. Um, and, and that makes me – like I don't know how much – other than like for the Secret Wars now I'm thinking, Spider-Man's costume obviously and the thing not coming back with the FF. Those yeah, are those big. Everything else feels... Hulk's, uh, Hulk's probably sore from holding up a mountain. Yeah, I think he's starting to lose control of himself when he comes back, but I think that was already started before. I don't know. Um, I guess I'm just saying Secret Wars could have changed even more stuff. Uh, Molecule Man's probably feeling a lot more confident. I mean, there's new villains. Titania exists in uh, uh, Volcana, mm -hmm. I believe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's something. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, but mostly it's that Colossus is no longer with Kitty. He was basically her boyfriend before, and now yeah. he's fallen in love with somebody else, and they're over. It's a real bummer when a 20-year-old breaks up with his 15-year-old girlfriend. <laughs> I'm going to harp on that forever, uh, <laughs> mostly because I didn't know it. I don't think I thought of Kitty Pride as 15. Yeah, or 14. I, didn't, I, think. I wasn't starting. I mean, I read uh, Secret Wars, but she's not in Secret Wars. 
So I still, at this point, probably didn't even know who Kitty Pride was. And so by the time I met her, it was Excalibur. She just felt like she was 17, 18. She felt like yeah. she was maybe two years younger than Colossus. Uh, to find out she's five years younger um, was just eye-opening for me. Um, but nonetheless, just despite that, the big change for the X-Men continuity is that Colossus is no longer with Kitty romantically. Yeah. And Professor X is sort of taking more of a leadership role on the field because now he can, you know, walk and play basketball. So that's... <laughs> That's what was holding him gained. up before. Yeah. He's yeah. in the danger room, just exclusively using the danger room to play against like the 1981 Lakers and like the 1972 Bucks. You know, he's like, mm -hmm. he's like just picking, some I just made that team up. I have no idea if the 1972 Bucks are good. I mean, I just Is the 80, Are the 81 Lakers good? That feels like it might. That's right. I think that's they won, right. They okay. won the championship. I Okay. Or maybe the I don't Celtics remember. Did, but that's Lakers, Celtics era. Lakers. Yeah, yeah. And I remember the Celtics last one of the Bird era was '86, I think. So I almost said '86 them... Celtics, but that's that hasn't happened yet when these issues are being published. Oh, I see. All right. Wow, yeah. I didn't realize you were being so obedient to time. I'm Mr. Continuity. You know what I mean? I do rigorous research. I get all Search. my facts in a row. Anyway, the Y Men. Um, oh, so close. We're getting, by the way, so many tweets uh, calling anytime I post a picture of. Uh, Nightcrawler calling him Wolverine. <laughs> Man, my brain totally fried that day. That was like, that's truly one of the strangest things that's ever happened to me is that I called Nightcrawler Wolverine like five times. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it was. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what kind of fatigue that was. Um, but it is it has become a running gag on our social media feeds. To be um, like, oh look, a picture of two Wolverines and stuff <laughs> like that. So uh what do you think of these four issues, Will Hines? I loved them. But how about you? Uh, I liked them pretty, uh, it's more than like, somewhere between like and love. Um, These were a uh, joy to read. These were right in my sweet spot of like the, um, basically, maybe I'm going to change my mind of this when we go through it, but it generally felt like it would zoom in on like one or two characters. Characters yeah. and their story for most of the issue, or at least for a long while, and then switch. And I, I enjoyed I, that. A lot I wanted more. to like the rogue issue more, and I didn't really like that issue, but I enjoyed the other ones pretty strongly. So I can see that rogue was probably the flimsiest one. I did like just the idea of it. Like if you pitched me the story for that issue, I'd be like, "Ooh, that sounds good." Uh, and sometimes that is. Sometimes yeah. if just the idea is good, even if the execution is sloppy, I can still kind of be excited about the issue all the way through. You know, if it's like a cool idea. Remember that? So, remember that? Um, oh, go ahead. So much of that issue just felt like Claremont playing with his Miss Marvel plot lines that I have not read. Yeah, um, there is there is a bit of that. Claremont definitely like, loves his own personal like continuity with these characters. Yeah, but if you haven't read those comics, he doesn't remind you. There's not, a, there's not a lot to be like, is this character important? I don't know. Anyway, we'll get to it. We'll get to that issue. I was like, I don't know if this character is a big deal or not to Miss Marvel. It feels like she is. Um, I, I'll but, have a small defense of it. Uh, it's not okay. as good as The Brood, but uh, I, I, oh, I have boy. a small defense of uh, when we get to it. I was going to say, in terms of Kevin and Will memories, do you remember that um, TV movie on Channel 11, The Girl, The Gold Watch, and Everything, or The Girl, yeah. The Gold Watch, and Dynamite? Yeah, definitely. And these were these were TV movies or something where a guy gets a pocket watch that when he clicks it, he can freeze time. Yeah, the and guy from the, Airplane. Oh, it was Robert Hayes. Oh, wow. Um, and it was one of these like classic, like low budget 
science fiction things because he clicks it and just everything turns red and they're frozen. And then he can walk around in the frozen time and like do stuff and then start time again. Or does he have like 60 seconds? That's right. It's like 60 seconds. Yeah. Um, like the, the stopwatch starts. Yeah. It's, he, it's, he inherits it from his like eccentric, eccentric father or uncle or something. Yeah, I don't like even that. remember that well, but it was like, like this, this is an example of like when the idea is cool, like the idea of a watch that could stop time was just enticing to me as a kid. I think we used to play it as I think we would play this together. Like, yeah, we, we would pretend to do that for sure. It was like a cool had, idea. And I'm sure if I watch those movies again, they would not hold up at all. I'm sure they would be like super low budget and probably too slow. And and I have not watched them. So maybe they're amazing, but like, <laughs> but like if something's a cool idea, you're along for the ride, you know, like a lot of monster movies get by on that. If the monster is a cool idea, you'll forgive a lot of hokey weirdness, like that crappy thrown together movie alien. Really? Is that where you, <laughs> that's where you landed on that movie? Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, I agree. Ideas are very cool. And I, uh, the idea of Rogue wrestling with her... Who she is. Miss Marvel personality. But if it was more Rogue and less Miss Marvel, I would have been more interested because I've only known Rogue. I think um, you're right. And that's just... A, that Again, that's an example of where I got one over. All right, let's, let's go through these because we're, we're already kind of starting to do it. Yeah. Um, we're already starting to do the second issue. Let's go back to the first issue, 181, Young Dragons in Love. I love this issue. I thought this, this issue, issue was a blast. So fun and the right blend of silly and serious and kind of sweet. Uh, we do have most of the characters of the X-Men in it, but it, it did not feel like crowded or complicated. Um, I'm going to, here's the weird compliment. It feels like this is a John Byrne issue in a good way. It felt like sort of tight and organized. Um, yeah, uh, John Romita Jr. Art is great throughout these four issues, I think. Yes, I love um, the art. So he is, he is firing in all cylinders. And yeah, I think John Romita Jr., um, like Byrne before him, is great at action yes. and pacing and guiding your eye across the page in a way that Cockrum, I feel like it sounds like I'm bashing Cockrum, but Cockrum wasn't. I right? think we can say that at least the Cockrum X-Men issues in his second stint did not do a mm -hmm. good job of that. Certainly, maybe he had that capability, but like it wasn't he, evident in those issues. I think he was great at designs and ideas and things like that. But I, I, when it comes to pacing, like I think he is an artist that probably serves better as like um, to have like an Alan Moore type of superscript that he's working off of, but that he gets to contribute to. Yeah. Um, where Byrne... And uh, uh, to a lesser extent, John Romita Jr., I think, are great at just like, hey, it's a fight page for it's a fight for four pages. Make it look cool. Yeah, they can do that. Yeah. Um, Kevin, what's the high level summary of this issue? Um, the X-Men are do back. That uh, I don't <laughs> remember. I read it a couple of days ago. The X-Men are back. Um, Lockheed had fallen in love with a dragon in the Secret Wars world. And when that <laughs> dragon came back, it became a full size dragon for yes. We don't know why. Yes. Um, and the X-Men fight it off while also like, you know, figuring out what's going on. Yeah. So like the two dragons are in love with each other. The now big well, dragon is. The big dragon's in love with Lockheed, it seems oh, that's like. Right. That, that's the is, big plot point is Lockheed <laughs> is not interested in when Lockheed finally um, kind of establishes yeah. a strong boundary. Yeah. Uh, the, the big, uh, the big dragon accepts this and stops destroying Tokyo and stops existing. Maybe 
and maybe stops existing. I kind of can't remember now. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It starts with a big dragon attacking Japan or Tokyo. uh, uh, Sorry. And uh, they are, they're like, why us? (laughs) They're also ready for it. Is that, is this this thing that's in Marvel? So they have like a special army ready to fight giant monsters. They also make reference to monster Island, which I know exists in the Godzilla universe. It definitely exists in the Marvel universe too, because Monster Island has some Mole Man okay. connection. Okay. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily like if other. I haven't seen any other comics playing up the. This is why Japan is always attacked by Godzilla. But Godzilla also, for a brief while, existed in the Marvel universe, just like Dracula does. Uh, like there was a thirty-five or so issue run of Godzilla where like shield was chasing him down constantly. <laughs> um, okay. So it's, it's told to us in this issue anyway, that Japan is a special branch of its military, which by the way, it's not supposed to have any military at this time in Japanese history because of post-World War II. But I guess, I guess the United Nations has given them an exception for fighting giant monsters. Um, and so when Lockheed's suitor the giant dragon shows up, Japan uh, snaps into action, but the X-Men are also there. So they're also trying to contain the big dragon because they feel responsible because they sort of brought it kind of. Yeah. Um, Right away though, Professor X tells Rogue to fly from Tokyo to New York to check on Kitty. Yes, but that's, that's overstepping. That's what Storm should do because Storm is the leader of the group. Right. And it's pretty cool. Rogue checks in with Storm first. He goes, you want me to do it, Storm? Storm, you're the boss. You want I should go? And then Wolverine thinks to himself, it's not good having this chain of command be messy. And it is, it is kind of a cool, I, I enjoyed this. It's one of these things where they have to tell me or I might not notice because it doesn't seem so crazy for a group of six people, everyone to be sort of pitching in ideas. It's also very comic booky that somebody just says to do something and you take a character off the board. Yeah. But once they kind of framed it like, hey, this is Professor X kind of challenging Storm. And Storm and Professor X are in this thing where they respect each other and like each other, but he's screwing up, mm-hmm. which he kind of does all the time, right? Like we just stab Professor X, you're a jerk, right? Kitty was yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Wolverine thinks for like five thought balloons about it, which is a little verbose, but uh, uh, it is a good sequence. You're right. There's more thought balloons in that one panel around Wolverine's head than have been in Marvel Comics for the last 15 years. Current times, yes, that's <laughs> true. Okay, so, um, but we get into kind of a fun thing where there's the action of the dragon attacking and the X-Men try to deal with that. There's the compassion we show for the for the fact that these dragons are actually, that, that it's a romantic squabble. Mm-hmm. Sunfire shows up to help out because uh, they're in Sunfire. Tokyo. Love Sunfire. Um, Sunfire is definitely the great underused character of what we've read because he was, you know, he was an original member of the new X-Men for one issue. Yeah, and and he was great. And then he also was in that issue before. Um, where do we yeah. read that? He had a couple issues where he, um, where uh, after they left the Savage Land, they came to Japan. Is that what you're thinking of? Yes. Where's the one where his father dies? And there's like the the dialogue. Oh, that was we read panels. that on Marvel by the month. Okay, so we were guests on Marvel by the month, and we had to read the Marvel comics of that month, which included a pre new X-Men X-Men, which was a Sunfire issue. And was a great issue. Mm-hmm. It's a great character. I'm always glad when he shows up. Yeah. And his design is great. I think. Yeah. He looks cool. He is fun. He's his personality is fun. I mean, he doesn't have a ton of backstory because he doesn't get a lot of screen time. 
um, page time. He's basically he angry, cool. right? He's the angry, vengeful hero. That's like his general tone. Yeah, but as Wolverine is sort of settled into the group, like Sunfire has more room, I think, to sort of be a jerk in it. And it, yeah. he could be great in this comic. He just isn't. Uh, I wish there was more Sunfire. That's that's my request. Um, and so then eventually, yes, uh, Lockheed basically tells the big dragon to buzz off. And then, the yeah, the dragon vanishes. We don't know yeah, why. That is very weird. Um, Story over. And then at the end, there's a little cliffhanger, which is Robert Senator Kelly, who's the anti-mutant senator, has proposed his anti-mutant bill, which is, you know, that's the setup of the story in and of itself, but also that is the beginning of Days of Future Past. Right. We also got a one-page cameo in the middle where Cyclops was returned to his honeymoon that he vanished from for a week. <laughs> but he's back in jean shorts and at his honeymoon, and Madeline Pryor's mad at him, and he's like, hey, what, what can I do? They're both dressed so 80s thirst trap. Like, I mean, Cyclops is in a, like, kind of a crop top, uh, jogging shorts. Uh, Madeline Pryor is in full flash dance sweats mode. Um, this, these, whenever they're together, they take off half their clothes. Like these two are, they're, hey. they're a sexy young couple. You they're a sexy to, young couple. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't remember at any, any time in my life when I was dating somebody where, when I was alone with them, I just immediately started taking off clothes just to lounge around. The Beyonder was so intent on getting all those heroes to go into the, the, the big thing in central park, except for Cyclops just took him. Grabbed him, put him in his costume, brought him <laughs> along, and then took him out of his costume and sent him back. Yeah, seems like we didn't need maybe those big Coliseum things. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I really enjoyed this issue, and it sounds like you did too. Yeah, it was a fun issue. It was, yeah, it was a very strong issue. Maybe my favorite of the four, but uh, uh, who cares about that sort of ranking? Let's go into the Rogue issue. That was good time for us, Kev. Oh, yeah? We made good time on that. Should we go back to it a little bit? <laughs> yeah, maybe we should waste a little more time. Let's talk about the girl, the gold watch, and everything a little bit more. Um, okay, so next issue is a rogue issue. Yeah, so this is the one you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, so Rogue went to New York on Professor X and Storm's orders to check in on Kitty. But yeah, Kitty. The, the title is, literally says starring Rogue of the Uncanny X-Men. Yeah, Um and we don't, we love Rogue as a character, right? Like, it's fun to think of it. I mean, if I tell you there's going to be a Rogue issue, what, aren't you excited? Like, uh, I excited. love Rogue. I think yeah. Rogue's great. I think she's cool. As the new member, that's also exciting. Her power set is cool. Her look is cool. Everything about her is cool. Plus, the um, tragedy of her powers is interesting. Yeah. I mean, they're fun in a battle, and they're also, like, the limitation of her not, not being able to touch somebody. Although she does get touched in this issue, and the powers do not activate. Yeah, there's that one panel. Um, okay, so the 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 high level thing is she's here to check on Kitty, but Kitty is up at the Massachusetts Academy run by the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, or no, Which Hellfire is a, Club. The Hellfire Club. It's the Massachusetts Academy, but it's run by the Hellfire Club. She's up there. It with ends up being Cypher. a new mutants plot line that we don't ever see. Right. So the new mutants are taking care of that, but Kitty is not here, and mm -hmm. instead, uh, Rogue checks an answering machine and gets a message from a Captain Marvel character. Ms. Marvel, but yes. Uh, Ms. Marvel character, sorry, yes. And um, Carol Danvers universe character. Yes. And uh, she goes to check on that, and that's the issue, is her dealing with this Carol Danvers character, right? Yes. And um, and you're right, it's a lot. We focus, who is it, Lieutenant Rossi? Is that the name of this guy? Yeah, I don't... Uh... 
Yeah, I don't remember what his name is. Um, you're so you're so mad. Him. You're so mad. Yeah, Michael Rossi. Okay, yeah. So this is like an ex-boyfriend of Carol Danvers or something, and um, he left a message saying, "Hey, I need help." Think he, he called the X Men's answering machine. <laughs> yeah, and Rogue hears it, and what we find out is that Rogue has not only absorbed Carol Danvers' powers, which we knew. Mm-hmm. he's absorbed some of her memories. I guess we maybe knew that too. We knew but, that too. But what we find out here is that the absorption is so powerful that she loses track of which memories are hers, rogues or Carol yeah. Danvers. And so she's in love with this guy. She remembers being in love with this guy. And, and this is in particular, it. she blames flying around the world, exhausting her, letting this sort of happen, letting these memories sort of take over more than they normally would. But yeah, the fun of it is, is like she doesn't quite remember. Is she a hero because Miss Marvel was a hero or is she a hero because Rogue is a hero? Like there's, you'll, she'll never know. And so that is the idea that I, when I, we were talking about it a second ago, that's fun. Like that's a mm-hmm. really intriguing device. And that carried me through the sort of what's going on part of this issue. Yeah, definitely. I, th- I think that is cool. I just like all the, even when you were describing it, you're like, Michael Rossi is a love interest, maybe, I think. I don't know. Like those parts were too many of those. There's too many moments in this comic where I was like, who? Why? What is this? Is this character important? But we do get to see Rogue throw down on a shield helicarrier and she's powerful and it's really fun. Yeah. We also get to see her like lay down on a cloud, which doesn't fully make sense. That's but. the funniest part when she's <laughs> doing recon on the shell shield helicarrier to, you know, case out the joint to go rescue mm-hmm. Rossi. She just lounges on a cloud. It looks like a, like the yellow submarine Beatles movie or something like where you can imagine just like, or a puff, the magic dragon animated video, like some kind of sixties loopy thing where someone is just sure. lounging on a cloud of smoke. I think the wingless wizard used to lounge on a cloud chair that he had invented. <laughs> I'm not joking. <laughs> it was one of his inventions, I believe. Uh, but yes, Rogue then bursts into the helicarrier, like knocks um, doors down. Just she wrecks this place single-handedly. It's really fun. And um, she rescues this guy and she ten- she's caring for him back to health. And he's confused because she's like, hey, it's me, your, your ex. And I missed you. And he's like, I don't know who you are. I don't know what this is. And you're not, you know, you're not the person you think you are. She comes to the realization that her memories are screwed up and she's angry. Yeah, she even looks in the mirror and is shocked to see what she looks like. And uh, by the end, of, at the end of this, this ends with Shield declaring Rogue to be an enemy. Um, yeah, uh, because well, she burst in and beat the crap took, out of uh, uh, what they thought was a spy away from them. I don't. That's the other thing. I don't really know what he was doing. Is he a spy? Was he evil? Is he good? We don't know. What was he up to? Like, is Shield evil or good in this story? I don't really fully understand any of that stuff. And I also. I assume it will play out in this comic, but I don't, doesn't feel like it would. Well, the other thing that's happening is we do like a lot of stories are, we're being teased with them and then we don't see the ending, especially the new mutant stuff, right? Like there's a little cutaway where Emma Frost visits Sebastian Shaw and says, I've got the new mutants captured up at the school. Would you like to visit? And then there's a little caption that says, read about this and new mutants. And we don't see that. I'll say at least in, in that sense, and I, I don't, I don't, I, a little bit of that goes a long way, but I think that's smart, right? They're trying to get you to read New Mutants. You're a big fan of the X Men. Hey, read the New Mutants, and they're telling you to read the New Mutants, and then they're telling you kind of what happened next issue when Kitty's back. 
So yeah. they're at least playing fair. And they're like, they're like, this isn't your story. We're teasing it here, but uh, this isn't the story for this comic where this is like, you know, following up a plot line of an unrelated non-mutant book that has been canceled and is not currently going on. So it's just sort of like, uh, yeah, the, my downside to it is like, you're just bringing in, I don't know. It's like, um, Oh, I really, I was enjoying Lost, but then they brought that Law and Order plot line in from the canceled uh, uh, Criminal Intent season or something. Yeah. Why? Oh, the showrunner was the same. It's like, oh, okay. That that really threw me. I didn't need all those characters to show up. Is but. this a good example? There's an there's a episode of the TV series Psych where they do a Twin Peaks tribute where the two detectives, the main characters of Psych, have to go solve a... Um, a crime in the town that is Twin Peaks, which I'm embarrassed to say, I forget the name of that town, but they go but there. You, and, you know, all the, you know, the psych town, that town. <laughs> psych, I got, I have, you know, I'm in charge of the psych wiki. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but like the psych guys go to Twin Peaks though. And like Sherilyn Fenn is there. Like a lot of the actors and actresses. Uh, no, that's a homage. That's a spoof, right? Like it would be different if like, if Twin Peaks had ended, like if season one had been all of Twin Peaks, right. And they never did season two and they never wrapped up the murder. Yeah. And then Psych wrapped it up. <laughs> that, that would be the same thing. It'd be like, what is going on here? It's ah, 30 years ago. And also it's like, you know. Well, they're definitely assuming that like the in this Psych episode, <laughs> like, you know, they walk into a classroom <laughs> and a character from Twin Peaks is at the desk and there's like a musical sting. Sure. And it's like, well, if you don't know Twin Peaks, you don't know who this is. And you don't know that that's a big deal. Sure. I mean, community did things like that, right? Where they would do homages. I mean, I guess they wouldn't bring actors in necessarily, but they would homage shows. And 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 if you didn't know those shows, you were missing out on a part of the episode. Right, right. That is a thing that happens, especially in like comedic things. That's true. But but it is the difference here is like this is not spoofing Miss Marvel. This isn't like, oh, remember this? And also <laughs> Twin Peaks is like a huge cultural touchstone. Yeah. So like it, it, you know, if if when The Simpsons does a Godfather parody, I guess I guess their, their assumption is you know what the Godfather is. And if you don't, who cares? I guess if the X-Men had like Aunt May and like someone who is considered to be one of the premier stories of the Marvel universe. Hey, and I mean, these things happen, right? Like all the time, like titles will get canceled prematurely. And then those like the defenders will get canceled or whatever and get wrapped up in Howard the duck or whatever. That's not a real example, but things like that do happen or Marvel two and when stuff gets followed up and swan yeah. man thing. Uh, I just think I, even in those cases, I remember reading comics in the 90s, uh, early 90s and 80s when that happened more often. And it always threw me. Peter David would do that once in a while. He would bring characters in from like the new universe into Spider-Man 2099. And years later, I I would be like, that was a strange character that sort of just came and felt like I was missing something. And then years later, I'd find out it's like, oh, I didn't read Justice in the new universe title. So I didn't know what was going on. And he wasn't wrapping up plot lines. He was just bringing a character he had written and loved. Mm -hmm. But like these wrapping up things does happen as Claremont's far from the only one who does it. I just, it always rubs me the wrong way where I'm like, no, tell X-Men stories. Even though Rogue has Miss Marvel, there's a good excuse in this book because Rogue is Miss Marvel. Uh, but I think you could do this better where it's 75% Rogue and only 25% Miss Marvel and 0% Psych. That's the part I'm really upset. More brood, more Psych. <laughs> um, just the first couple of seasons of Psych. I enjoyed it. <laughs> um, I do a podcast called You Can't Handle the Sleuths for CBB World. <laughs> okay. And on the recent episode, Ronnie plug. Adrian plug, uh, Ronnie Adrian played a detective who was the 
uh, the black guy from Psych, and he kept calling himself as a Psych. And what he said, actually, that's not true. What he said, he played a guy who watched half an episode of Psych. Okay. And related to that character and decided he was psychic and had psychic abilities. And I was like, I don't think the characters on Psych actually had psychic abilities. And he was right. like, well, I do. <laughs> and only one of the characters pretended, I, I believe. One pretended, the other one kind of called him out. From uh, Yeah. You know who's a huge uh, Psych fan? No idea. James the Third. James the Third loves Psych, huh? Loves Psych. Uh, UCB, New York, now LA, uh, member of comic the astronomy book, comic club. Comic book fan, so he fits this podcast. Comic book fan. He's on the, um, uh, what's the name of his podcast? Is it? Oh, uh, um, Black Man Can't Jump, jump in Hollywood? Yeah, Black Man Can't Jump in Hollywood. That might not uh, be quite its name, but it is a way better podcast than this one. It is a tremendously good podcast. Every comic book podcast is better than this one. We That's not a comic book doing. podcast. It's a movie podcast. Oh, okay. But well, it they, is tremendously good. That, that the episodes I listened to is when they did like Spider Verse. They'll oh, do yeah. like when there's a comic book movie. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jara and James will go nuts on that. On the yeah, okay. uh, it's it's a really I've I've listened I only listened to ones for movies I've watched, um, but it's really fun. They really, they're it's interesting. They have great points of view. They argue about stuff. That they're, they're funny dudes. They're so funny, man. All three of them. I think they're all right. Um, man, ima- imagine if we were funny. I can't. It would be it would really help. Oh, it'd be great. It'd be such an asset. Uh, should we move on? Let's move on. Issue 183. This is my favorite issue now that we're here. I'm, I'm This is I'm, a very good issue, too. I think this one in the Young Dragons of Love made me love all four of these issues a lot. So in this one, Colossus... I think that's very fair. And I think the Rogue issue dragged me down a little bit uh, unfairly. And I was like, ah, these were okay. But I still yeah. like them. But I, I enjoyed... And I've been enjoying these since Brood. These issues have had a a much better level of uh, pace, yeah, and and reality, and right. I've been loving them. Despite the lack of Brood, I like them too. <laughs> so now, issue one eighty three. The high level thing is Colossus basically breaks up with Kitty, and then Wolverine is mad about it and takes him out drinking to like give him a talking to that says Kitty deserves better, and it turns out that Juggernaut is in the bar trying to pick up girls, and they all get into a fight. Yeah, it also seems like Wolverine maybe was planning to beat up Colossus. Maybe. Um, but then didn't because he's like, oh, Juggernaut's going to do it for me. Yeah, Juggernaut I, and I don't Colossus quite understand good. Wolverine's lesson here. Um, I mean, he says a thing at the end that sort of explains his point, but it, I, don't, I don't understand how the fight, the fight helped get that across. Because Wolverine's point basically is like, hey, you fell in love with this alien creature who had seemed to have like magical woo powers, right? Cause everyone fell in love with her. Yeah. I think you were just afraid of your feelings for Kitty. And, and so you, you ran, found a convenient excuse. To right. Like... Uh, which, you know, tell them that on the beyonders planet, dude. But anyway, yeah. like, and also I don't understand how like getting punched helps that lesson sink in. Is it Zazzy? Is that the name of the woman in the Secret I think so, Wars? Yeah. Something like it's that. Z S A J I or something like that. Yeah. Um, I think Wolverine has a point though. Like, uh, because right before Secret Wars, Kitty yeah. was palling around with Doug Ramsey, Cypher, who was a on paper a much better match for Kitty than Colossus. Sure. And he was feeling jealous about that. So Wolverine's Wolverine's he's got a good point case. is great. The, the 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 idea of beating him up in a bar. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I don't understand good. how that's part of the like getting him going out for drinks and yelling at him. 
What if he took him down to the sewers so he could assume the same pose that he had underneath the sewers of the Hellfire Club? Like they're always trying to contrive reasons to have that panel happen again. Now it's my turn or whatever, whatever it is he says. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. His Wolverine's point was great. I like that Nightcrawler went too. like, I like just the guy. I love the Nightcrawler went. Yeah. You know, it's, it it is such a, it's like, oh, it's friends and Ross and Rachel have broken up. So the guys are taking Ross out and kind of like they're dealing with him. And yeah. the, the, uh, you know, the girls are taking, uh, uh, Rachel out and they're dealing with her. Like, that's what this felt like to me. And it feels like, yeah, that is sort of what should happen, especially in like an eighties world of gender specific roles. It's also something that X-Men is good at that. The other Marvel titles of the time are not good at because this is an ensemble yeah. book. There's men and there's women, there's romance yeah. and they're mm-hmm. younger. It's hard to imagine Captain America taking like Tony Stark out and being like, Hey, you shouldn't have broken up with pepper pots or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, there, you know, this is a good book for this kind of story. And this is a good example of it. Like it's the right mixture of sort of, you know, Chris Claremont dialogue filled, pages of debate but then some really good action and some um, humor it's funny it's funny that juggernaut is wearing a black turtleneck and he's in a bar trying to pick up a girl yeah it's funny when nightcrawler teleports into the car and they all get mad because it smells bad yes uh the sulfur smell yeah that's um, funny it's also funny that he they didn't take him initially and he felt left out and he's like wolverine wolverine he teleports into the car and he's like yeah you, you said you were gonna take me with you yeah. And they're like, yeah, yeah, fine. Come. Um, uh, there's also this great sequence. I don't think you have the comic open in front of you, maybe, but I, um, I do. Right, right after that sequence where when Kitty's talking to Storm, John Romita Jr. is great. Like, look how those panels got shrink um and just like pull out basically in this oh, cool way so of just what showing like page. it just makes a Kitty Sorrow hit better than if that was a full panel. I don't know. It's just I wouldn't this have thought where... to do that. And John Romita Jr. is just, you know, he is trained by one of the best and also one of the best. And it, you can just see it there. Uh it's really it's it. This is where Kitty is kind of like trying to act tough in front of Storm, but she breaks down and Storm hugs her. Uh it's really lovely. Also, you know, Kitty and Storm have ha- having their issues lately because Storm is becoming a lot more like cold and hard, and Kitty doesn't like that. Also, Kevin, in that final panel, who's that poster you see on the back wall there? Um, I think it's Ace from uh, the Spider-Man annuals. Are you um, kidding me? Is it Prince? I think it's Magnum P.I. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah, you're right. I thought it was Prince. Uh, there was a character in the Spider-Man comics that was uh, clearly based on Prince called Ace. Oh. <laughs> and that's who I was referencing. Uh, I'm hoping it's Magnum PI because I like the idea that Claremont can't stop putting Magnum PI in these X-Men books. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, this is John Romita. Like, I can't imagine Claremont's like, hey, uh, so then this sequence, we want like this sort of heart-to-heart talk. Work a little Magnum PI <laughs> in the background. <laughs> this is Kitty's bedroom, so it's got to look like the bedroom of a typical teenager. You get it. Magnum PI everywhere. There's Magnum PI posters. She's wearing a Hawaiian shirt. You know, she's got a guy with a mustache that's kind of his butler. I should save this for the... Uh, the um, emails, but somebody on our Instagram page, uh, I posted the panel from the Impossible Man annual that ends with yes. Garfield. Yeah, and Magnum uh, PI. Tur- Magnum PI turning into Garfield or whatever. Yes. Is the last sequence. <laughs> and like the the uh, Kitty and Alana, I th- Alanya are like, uh, yeah, that's like, the ever loving end or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but Garfield is saying, whoopee. Yes. And, and someone's comment was, 
I like that they at least worked in Garfield's famous catchphrase. <laughs> and I just started laughing so hard. And then I looked, looked up and going, whoopee. <laughs> Why is Garfield saying whoopee of all the things on that page? It became the funniest part to me. Anyway, uh, Magnum PI. That's what we were talking about, right? Magnum PI is what this podcast is about. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a little cutaway to um, Mystique. Mystique and a woman who is sort of, is she anti-mutant? Yes. Yes. Yeah. There's a woman who's part of the anti-mutant part of the government or whatever. Yeah, it's Valerie Cooper, um, a long-running supporting character, uh, runs X-Factor for a while later on. Uh, but and, yes, here here she's just like a government anti-mutant person. And um, so we, and Mystique has a has a persona, which is a government worker, and her and that persona is working ostensibly against the mutants but really that's just so mystique can get in good with the anti-mutant people and maybe kill them someday yeah uh we cut back to the bar where wolverine realizes juggernaut is there picking up women and also another cool sequence where using he kind of illustrates wolverine's sense yes like everything is blurry and then he like focuses in like it seems like he's focusing in on juggernaut it's a really cool way to like show his power of smell very fun. And it ends with that, you know, juggernaut in his civvies. You know, he's got khaki pants and a nice tasteful black turtleneck. And he's he's at this bar, which I'm guessing is on Park Avenue South. Kevin, that's where I'm feeling like this bar is. Okay. And then juggernaut is mad or what Wolverine does uh, something. Or? Wolverine tries to get out of there before juggernaut sees them because he doesn't want this juggernaut to attack them. But because of it, like, Colossus, who's drunk, trips and pours his beer on Juggernaut. They start fighting. And then Wolverine's like, well, it's happening. Might as well let it go. The crowd is kind of funny, right? The crowd like just kind of enjoys the fight. At first, they eventually leave. There's also, which seemed odd at first, but was another subplot. There's like one woman who seems unfazed by the fight and is still like picking up a dude. Yeah, she's picking up a dude. You're so kind and so handsome, she's saying to him, like, while Juggernaut and Colossus are fighting. I feel so much safer with you beside me. I almost wondered, because it looked like a little bit of a John Byrne yeah. drawing of the guy. Not totally, but enough that I was like, is this supposed to be an in-joke of some comics creator? Basically, it's a plaid shirt and yeah. a beard. So I was like, is this supposed to be a comics guy? Yeah, but no, red, like you say, reddish it's a, hair. It's a subplot that we find out about the end of the issue. Also, interestingly enough, this is Juggernaut's first appearance since Nothing Stops a Juggernaut, drawn by John Romita Jr. Oh, the Spider-Man stuff. Yeah, because they reference that here. Juggernaut talks about how he was encased in concrete for a while. (laughs) And then the the caption is, a somewhat biased recap of the events of Spider-Man 230. Um, So they fight for a while. Juggernaut's version of him, by the way, trashing New York City to kill somebody is... I come home to this crummy burg for a lousy visit, and Wan, the lousy wall caller, traps me in a block of solid concrete. It is a somewhat biased recap. A very biased recap. Um, so Colossus and Juggernaut fight for a while. Juggernaut basically wins by taking, by collapsing the building on top of Colossus. But Juggernaut is impressed at Colossus's strength and bravery. And yeah. so he wins, but he tells Wolverine, hey, that Colossus guy's pretty good, and then throws a wad of, I think, nowhere near enough money to pay for the damages that he has <laughs> no. brought. It, it looks like a building, right? It looks like even if those are hundreds, 
what is that 500 bucks <laughs> it's rolled pretty loosely um i mean i don't think it's hundreds it's probably it's probably a couple hundred bucks it would have to be some documents that secured some major funding from like uh an how investor. much would a new york i mean even in the 80s when real estate was a little more affordable i mean i have i'm gonna guess five hundred thousand dollars for a building in new york city in 1983 i mean i don't i have no idea if that's yeah the way that's got to be the low end too in a bad area not that many stories but if he threw five hundred thousand dollars right now i think that would be an honorable amount of money to throw i think he's mm-hmm. throwing 800 bucks <laughs> yeah yeah if he's throwing a thousand bucks i'm surprised i think I mean, like, wolverine also claims he'll pay for it earlier i didn't know wolverine was rich the x-men seem to be selectively rich sometimes yeah i mean but i know, know he, professor x is rich though for a little while he wasn't because the mansion got trashed and they moved uh, to that weird uh, Cthulhu, Cthulhu Island. Island. And then yeah. they just kind of came back for no reason. Uh, maybe Wolverine, you know, he's been alive for a couple hundred years. So maybe he's got, you know, maybe he like founded Coca-Cola or something like uh, that. Smart move. Um, uh, okay. Yeah. So then that kind of ends and Wolverine has his talk out with Colossus where he's basically like, you've been treating Kitty badly. You know, you're hiding from your feelings and you're being really selfish about it. She mm-hmm. deserves an apology from you or some kind of appreciation. Um and they kind of just head back home, I guess. Yep, that's it. Um, it's a cool talk. And we get a, a one like panel thing of Celine, who's going to be the villain of the next issue, who'd sucked the life of John Byrne <laughs> um, out. Which is like it was John Byrne, because it's also the next issue, uh, a play on Days of Future Past, something that John Byrne didn't really want a sequel to. Could yeah, be. so maybe they had to murder his little likeness so that before they felt good doing a sequel to Days of Future Past. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so we sort of have a species-like subplot where this hot woman goes into a bar and picks up a dude just to kill him and suck his life force. Yes, that's right. Three things that I've referenced in this episode, the girl, the gold watch, and everything, psych, and species. Well, how am I yeah. doing with like being real current and with it for our listeners? Well, the, the nice thing was that you also diminished alien you talked about how that was a slap together movie before you raved about yeah you're i'm only into it for the concept i don't like the sound design or the pace or anything i'm just like cool idea the actors are sort of subpar yeah nobody it's not memorable it's not memorable is the problem with alien it's not iconic is no impact no Uh, and no scary scenes that are gross (laughs) um the final issue that we're talking about is issue 184 is about Celine. It's another cool Ramita cover. This is also the introduction of Rachel Summers. Though I don't think we're, I guess we do know that because we've seen her before in Days of Future Past. So she, that's she, so long ago. I can't imagine readers remember that. I can barely remember it. And I know yeah, who she is. It's solidifying. It's bringing Rachel Summers into the current continuity. Mm-hmm. Um, Rachel Summers is the child of Scott Summers and Jean Grey from the future. That's right. And she was instrumental in Days of Future Past. It was her psychic abilities that allowed future Kitty Pride to occupy the body of yeah. our time Kitty Pride and warn us about what was coming. In a way, she's a replacement for Jean Grey because that power set is missing from the comic. And it's a way to bring that in without having to bring Jean Grey back to life, like bring her daughter in. Right. I think it's a really cool idea. I mean, Rachel gets very complicated in the future, uh, which is all I've read of her is like Excalibur and on. Um, but, uh, I, I have a soft spot for all the Excalibur characters. So I was happy to see her show up in this issue though. This issue was sort of subpar, but I mostly enjoyed it. I mostly enjoyed it too. And I, and I really love days of future past. I'm very unique in that way. Most people did not like that series, but I happen mm-hmm. to enjoy days of future past. That's right. Um, 
and I was just people call it the psych, the psych of the X Men uh, uh, run, which I, which again I just they mean it badly, and I'm like, well, now you're complimenting it, which <laughs> I'm the only one who appreciates. Um, no, uh, he, um, I, I, I thought it was okay. Like, yeah, it was a bit sloppier and more confusing, and yeah, I mean, part of that is because like the first like six or seven pages deal with this Valerie Cooper Mystique Forge plot that I am not that invested in. But it's the debut of Forge. He's going to become a big character in the X. Sure. And Forge is like a mutant who can like invent stuff. He's like a mutant Tony. His power is being Tony Stark. Yeah. Um, so he's like showing off his gadgets to these to these anti-mutant people, one of whom is an actual mutant in disguise. It's kind of a fun moment where he shows a he shows his mutant scanner. He goes yeah. and tells you if somebody's around with mutant powers. And Mystique's like, I'm gonna have to kill these two once they <laughs> yeah. find out that I'm uh, Mystique. But then he's like, well, I'm a mutant, so it's going off, but that's because I'm here. Yeah. So he so must not have turned it on, so I guess it didn't work or he wasn't using it. Also, the scanner doesn't say who's the mutant. It just says mutants nearby, I guess. Forge is an amazing inventor, but he sometimes forgets the details. He's bad at you know user interface stuff. Uh, anyway, the, I like all the Rachel stuff in this story. I don't really care about the Celine stuff, if that makes sense. Um, I think like, she's a fun villain. Uh, Rachel, like, kind of like looking at the X Men and being like, "Oh, everything has changed from when uh, uh, we did Days of Future Past." Like, where's my mom? Storm looks different. Um, right. They never went to Secret Wars or whatever. Uh, that's all really fun. Rogue was not on the team. I, I have to admit, I got. Where does she fight Celine? Oh, it happens. Okay, yeah. So she goes to like a club, and she is overwhelmed her psychic ability is overwhelmed and well, she so runs th- into the club because celine grabs her in an alley okay right i'm getting this and then up. she runs into an alley and then celine chases her in there but like some club owner likes rogues so not uh, not rogue rachel she's gonna rogue i corrected myself um, i would let it go the club for the owner, whole episode uh the club owner takes rachel home but then celine shows up and kills the club owner attacks rachel and he's and, got this like unbelievably palatial New York apartment, right? He's and got then the like, X Men show up because Rachel somehow contacts Professor X. Professor X. Uh, I guess Colossus has a new uniform that looks worse. It does um, look worse, but you don't really get a good look at it. Uh, and then they sort of fight, and and then like the X Men win, and Rachel collapses, uh, uh, talking about how she's from the future. And now the world is doomed. So it's um, very confusing, like what's going on, mostly to the X Men, who I don't think remember Days of Future Past. Um, that's right. Yeah, they wouldn't remember. So this is a very confusing moment for them. But Rachel's a very like when you talk about ideas, she's a very intriguing character. Yeah, the daughter of a couple that didn't end up lasting in this um, yeah universe. Uh, Colossus's costume looks like he's a Bond girl. Like that looks like a Bond girl dress. Yeah, I mean, this doesn't last long. I can't imagine because he's in his, he's mostly still drawn in his original Cockrum costume. Like Nightcrawler and Colossus costumes have lasted. Like Storms didn't, and Storms was also brilliant. Uh, Wolverines didn't, and Wolverines was really good. Um, but like Colossus and Nightcrawler always are almost always going back to their original costume or very minor changes to it. They're just good. They're simple and they work. I like Rogue's costume. And even though it is sort of like 
kind of love, plain in a way, but I, I love it somehow. I love Rogue's costume. Uh, I think a lot of people have uh, our, our former guest, Brett White, have a strong memory for the Jim Lee bustier, more like tights and stuff like that, uh, that you would wear later on. Um, like they're wrong is what we're saying. Like the sexier rogue. But I mean, that's also the first rogue they knew was from that the sure. TV show. I like this rogue. The rogue that's a little more covered up and a little shyer feeling. And so it feels like a cool feel, especially for a character so powerful. Yeah. But I'm surprised um, it works because it, it's kind of unadorned. It's kind of just like it's, it's also evil colors, right? She's green. Yeah. But that's, maybe that's what makes it fun. Yeah. Anyway, I, I enjoyed this issue. The Celine is sort of like this, whatever, life force vampire. I don't even quite, how did she get defeated? The X-Men just beat her up? They burn her? <laughs> I forget. It's like a mental attack. Uh, or she, maybe she runs away. Uh, they don't even defeat her. She runs off. They burn the building down and she runs off. The X-Men have destroyed two buildings in two issues. That's so okay. They got juggernauts 500 bucks to cover that. <laughs> Whatever's left over from the last building, they'll use to pay for this. Yeah, yeah. How much is this one? $83? <laughs> <All right. laughs> You know, we'll need change. We might wreck <laughs> another building. I mean, it's been a while since they've destroyed an airport, so I guess they're doing okay. <laughs> um, well, I really am enjoying these issues a lot. I feel like we've yeah. settled into a great groove. Uh, I was excited about the John Romita era, even though I hadn't read them just because I like John Romita Jr., and I'm glad it's living up to my expectations. How are you spelling expectations? <laughs> well, now, X dash. <laughs> P-E-C. Got any hot takes? I love a Kevin Hines hot take. Uh, I like that first issue. <laughs> this is not a hot take. This is a boring take. I like that first issue where they had all the characters hanging on top of the X-Men uh, logo. On the cover? Yeah. Yeah. Because cool. the main cover is two dragons blowing fire at each other. And maybe somebody was like, wait, show the X-Men in some yeah. place. And they just I, I, them hanging all over it, the logo. It felt very, um, I don't know, like Silver Age DC to have like the characters like sitting on the logo. But I liked it. Yeah, you can picture like Green Arrow doing that. And yeah, saying, yeah. hey, kids, don't miss this ish or whatever. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. Um, should we take a break and then read some mail? Let's do it, Will. So, Kevin, Screw It Comics is sponsored by Shortboxed. Why don't you tell the people what that is? Shortboxed is an app and a website where people buy and sell graded comic books uh, that they've uploaded photos of and then you know, ship them to each other, sort of like a, a, a very specialized uh, shopping network. I've already talked too much. Uh, no, you're doing great. And uh, what is uh, graded comic books? Graded comic books are when people send their comics to a third party mm-hmm. who take these comics and kind of judge the condition of the comic book. Is it is it folded? Is it ripped a little bit? Is it how faded are the colors? And then they kind of seal it in like sort of this hard plastic and send it mm-hmm. back with a grade on it uh, between like zero and 10. So 10 being like, oh, this comic is in perfect condition. It could not possibly be better. And one is, what did you do to this comic book? <laughs> what happened You're here? a monster, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Sharpbox, their app has just been redesigned recently. So it's more intuitive and prettier. And they have giveaways where you can like enter contest to win graded comic books, sometimes signed, sometimes pretty old. I enter, I've entered a few and I've won zero. Hint, hint, short box. Let's rig it for your sponsees. Yeah, that there's no controversy there. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Shortboxed is great. We think you should download the Shortboxed app and check it out today. Or tomorrow, one of the two. And we're back. So we're going to go over some email. If you want to email us, send us email at screwitcomics at gmail. You can address us as Kevin and Will or the Milksops. 
or the dudes or the Wolverines, call us what you want and tell us any of your thoughts on the X-Men or any comics we go over or any comics or anything. Um, we also have a Twitter account, which is Screw It Comics and an Instagram account, Screw It Comics. Check that out. Uh, you know, we never say it, but you could rate and subscribe us too. Might as well get that uh, in now. It'd be nice to get some, uh, we have, we get reviews every once in a while. It'd be nice to get a couple of reviews on there. If you're the type of listener who says, I support, you know, we don't have a Patreon. Maybe we will someday. But right now we are we are the, we are freeze the bee's knees, and uh, oh, maybe man. maybe um give us a review that we would we would love it. Lie lie about how great this is, you know. Sucker some people in. We have one really bad review, and it's clearly not for our podcast. Have I read that to you before, Will? Um, no. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, vamp for a second. I'm going to pull it up. It's very funny. Okay, our reviews I'll... are largely good. But we have one that's just really bad. Let's vamp. Um. I'm interested. Uh, I was rereading Watchmen the other day, and then I mentioned that to a comic book friend of ours, Kevin, Alex Fernie, former guest of the podcast, and he was recommending the Tom King Rorschach uh, miniseries or something. He was like, that's really fun. And if you like Watchmen, I think you'll like that. Uh, it is good. Not it's if you like art. Watchmen, just, it's just that it's good, period. Like just it's, a, it's, it's a good follow-up to Watchmen in the same way the TV show is a good follow-up, where it's like, it doesn't feel like a sequel so much as like, taking the elements and doing something a little different with it, I guess. Yeah. Um, it isn't like, what is, well, you know, what's next for Dr. Manhattan? It's just like, <laughs> this is in that world and the impact it's had on it. And let's explore it. Anyway, uh, here's the review. This is actually still pretty good. Three stars. Yeah. I love a three-star review. I mean, the title I of this bad review is the, I don't care drinking game. And then it says, here's a good drinking game. Every time Jimmy Linguini says the following, take one shot. I don't know. I don't care. Do what you want. I used to work for CBS, pump and dump. It doesn't matter to me. Shut up, Coyle. You don't know what you're talking about. Pro level, drink continuously from a pitcher of beer whenever the podcast grounds to a halt while the hosts look up something on their smartphones. This isn't about us. <laughs> and I don't know how to get this review off, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. We've got a three-star review that hurts our average because someone doesn't like Jimmy Linguini. Well, he's always saying he doesn't care. Do what you want. That's He's true. always bragging about his days working for CBS, you know? Anyway, uh, I don't care what you say in our podcast. Please give us five stars, even if you uh, call us Jimmy Linguini in our reviews, I guess is what I'm getting at. Yeah. We need them stars, baby, so more people discover us. I'll be honest. If you want to give us a two-star review, but you're passionate about it, I'd love that too. Yeah. I, I know that yeah. hurts us, but like, who cares? Like, I guess don't do it as a bit. Don't do it as a bit. Yeah, because do it, it a does, bit. Give us five it, stars it, and do a bit. Or do two stars if you actually hate us. If you actually have a two-star, yeah, it does hurt our visibility. But like, hey, if you've got two-star feelings, I believe in free expression. So uh, have at it. Let's get into our emails, Well, Okay. The first one's from Justin Bridge, a frequent emailer, a good friend, uh, a friend of us, friend of the podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, dear semi-comedians. That's us. Great, great shows lately. Here are a few points. Um, Justin... His fourth point is about Horizon Forbidden West because I asked how that game was. I'm not going to read that one. Okay. Um, though I know you also played that. I haven't played it. Yeah, I, um, I was playing it today. A point one, Callisto. Kevin was unsure of her power. The official handbook of the MU, Justin, big handbook fan. The official handbook of the MU describes her power set as Callisto is a mutant with superhumanly sharp senses of sight, hearing, smell, touch, and taste. The limits of these senses are as yet unknown. Um, so that's what her powers were. Okay. She's like Wolverine without the claws and healing factor. Yeah. Or like Daredevil without the muscles. 
Um, chapter but, two, but, uh, plus, point, but plus sight. Point two, Cannonball, because uh, we were talking about how much I love Cannonball. Yes. Of course you love Cannonball. Who wouldn't? He does have a great mutant power. He just blasts and has a force field while blasting and for three seconds afterwards, which I didn't realize. And as time has shown, he could blast it from any part of his body, though it would still come with the opposite reaction generating thrust. Though there are an issue or two where he's blasting people with his back to the wall to keep him from moving. Just so fun. I mean, his code name perfectly describes his power. Um, and his third thing, this is about Kingpin's Daredevil disposal. Do you remember how uh, Daredevil was disposed of in Born Again, Will? Put in the cab and dumped in the East River? Yeah. This has yeah. always bugged me, says Justin. Kingpin has his men soak mat and whiskey, but then pushes the cab into the river. Why? The whiskey isn't going to be there anymore. It could be 200 proof and it wouldn't be on his clothes anymore. It's totally asinine. Okay, force him to drink it or get into his bloodstream somehow. Sure, maybe, but pouring it on his clothes? What was Kingpin hoping? Some cop would taste the clothes of a corpse they found in a cab soaking in the river? You know what's in that river? I don't, but it's not good. What a fun thing to get mad about. <laughs> it's very funny. I would love it if someone's like, I hate born again. You know why? The alcohol so clothes make no sense. Third to last page of the second issue ruined it for me. <laughs> anyway, that's a very funny email. Thank you, Justin. Uh, here's an email from uh, Jason. Dearest Milk Sops, I was all ready to, to do battle defending the Brood Saga. And then I read issue 168. And I see where this is a perfect comic from start to finish. I don't remember which one 168 is. Me either. I'll try to find it while you're going. Okay. Uh, he likes it. Downtime that rivals Stern's best moment with the Avengers. The art in that sweet spot of late bronze, early modern that feels fresh and crisp, unburdened by the 70s weight or the 90s excess. A human story, perfectly timed minor action, bonding, character development, and a cliffhanger finish, and one of the best splashes of all time. P.S. For what it's worth, I love the Dracula issue. I totally get your unease with it. That Dracula? I think embracing the weird is important here. Something the X-Films haven't done. Space pirates, body swapping, vampires and dragons. X-Men under Claremont is fundamentally bizarre. Embrace it and let the weirdness wash over you. Uh, it's Professor Xavier is a jerk. Oh, yeah, that That's is a great issue. Yeah, it's hard to not love that issue. Anyway, his point about the weirdness of it is very true, very fun. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Jason. Here's one from Nate. Just wanted to drop you a line to say how much I enjoyed your Moon Knight Crash Course episode. Moon Knight just ended today, Well, I watched it. While we were recording it. Me too. Oh, look at that. I've always been a fan of the character, Moon Knight he's talking about, while not necessarily being a huge fan of any one series. And I thought your analysis was spot on. Thank you. Did we analyze it? Anyway, go ahead. Uh, our ana yeah, we did. We talked about like, we what did. We worked, did. what was interesting about it. Yes. It's, it's, I mean, it wasn't a deep analysis. We didn't read. Well, you read a lot of it, but. Yeah. Anyway, there's something about the look and premise of the character that intrigues. Even if writers can't always nail down specifics, I thought I would offer three few further observations. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Denny O'Neill and Michael Kaluta's Shadow series for DC influenced the initial Moon Knight series. Similar in tone and story structure, in my opinion, more so than Batman, I would say. I didn't read that Shadow, but I see that sort of Shadow pulp uh, homage in Moon Knight for sure. Yeah, what's the shadow's secret? Like the shadow nose is one of them. And it's, it's something about fear. Yeah. Right. Okay. I don't know. Alec Baldwin played him. That's all we need to know. <laughs> Number two, I remember Vengeance in the Moon Knight is a particularly good series. One I wish could have stuck around longer. If you didn't read that one, it is in its entirety. I recommend it. Uh, and three, if you're interested in doing a crash course on another character in the future, I'd like to nominate Wolverine's Weapon X colleague, Maverick. Kind of obscure. I don't even know him. But he had a very distinct look, and I remember Marvel trying really hard to make him a thing in the mid to late 90s before giving him a grim demise. Anyway, thanks for uh, putting out such an 
consistently entertaining content and have a great day. The shadow, who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. What's that from? Psych. <laughs> Uh, oh, here's a good one from Bernie Sanders. <laughs> no, no, I would be <laughs> impressive. Bernie emails us to say, Hey, uh, guys, you should do more for your Senate and help. Uh, no, um, I don't know what Bernie would say. <laughs> Batman needs to be taxed. I know he's doing good for Gotham City, but he has to pay his fair share so the green arrow can get care for his arm stump. Um, Bernie's the only one who wrote this, so it's a fun thing. Uh, I'm sure others have written in, but Avengers are making Moon Knight take therapy. We were asking why he was taking therapy in the current series. The Avengers are making Moon Knight take therapy because in the Age of Khonshu arc of Avengers, he stole a bunch of heroes' powers and tried to kill the Avengers, Ghost Rider, Thor's <laughs> Hammer, Iron Fist, etc. Pretty lenient sentence then, now that I know the backstory. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're trying to kill you got to go to therapy. <laughs> you can still be free to do what you want, though. Uh, vamp. So yeah, I'm going to read uh, the Tom King Rorschach series. Uh, I've also been watching old movies. I watch fan, not even old movies, but movies that have been recommended to me. I watch Fandango from 1985. I'm going to watch The Wild Bunch soon. It's movies okay. I always want. Okay. Okay. Uh, here it is. This okay. is from a, a Danbury resident, Dan Gelati. Uh, he, we, I made the comment about how all heroes get back up. Like that's sort of treated like a big thing for heroes, but every hero does it. Yeah. And Dan calls me on that. And pretty interesting. It's true that heroes always get back up, but maybe what's interesting is why they get back up. Is that what tells us a lot about a hero? Daredevil gets up every time out of a blue collar, never quit attitude from his boxer dad who wouldn't throw a fight. Spidey gets up because with great power comes great responsibility. Cap can do this all day because of his commitment to liberty and justice for all. Captain Marvel in the MCU gets up every time out of a powerful inner strength driven by uh, uh, feminism, maybe. Are you convinced? And I am. Um, it's a good point. I mean, that definitely, if the hero is specific, then all the things that would just be general tropes and anybody else have like a flavor to them, that's kind of fun. Uh, here's a fun email from Joshua. Greetings, cowards. What? <laughs> I've heard you mention how quickly the X-Men and women, uh, uh, the X-Men and X-Women quickly form friendships seemingly out of nowhere. If you could become fast friends with anyone in comics, who would it be and why? Ooh. I would choose Nightwing because of his jovial disposition despite his tough life. He's as cool as Batman, but less of a bummer during conversations. It's a good question. Who would you think, be friends with? I mean, that's I want to be friends with The Thing. I mean, I think The Thing would be the best buddy in Marvel Comics. He just would be so happy to see you all the time, and he would yeah. never get mad at you if you, like, you know, screw up and he'd forgive you. And he, I just, he's a big sentimental guy. The thing, I think. I was thinking, my first instinct was human torch. And, uh, uh, but then I was like, I don't want to do any of the stuff he wants to do. Yeah. You guys would not be a good match. Yeah. Ooh, nice pun. <laughs> you would not be a good match head. We're killing it with the puns that we don't realize. Um, How about Cypher? I think we'd, I think we'd have a lot of taste with Doug Ramsey, you know, that we probably <laughs> would. I mean, it would be so lame. I don't know if I want to be friends with any mutant, though. There's a lot of uh, Baggage. sentinels attacking them whenever you <laughs> hang out with them. I just don't want my house. See, I don't want the roof lifted off my house while Sentinel peers, Sentinel peers in and goes, mutant detected. I think She-Hulk could be fun, too. It's funny. The other, the other like, FF member who was in the same role as the thing, like, yeah. I'm just thinking of jovial, good-natured folk. But She-Hulk she would be, like, I think, Human Torch, where she'd want to go out all the time. And we'd be like, eh, can we stay in and watch a movie? Yeah, she went to law school. I think she's she's got a brainiac side that I, you know, yeah. that I, she but could engage with. Thing's probably the best answer. Um, his answer of Nightwing is also pretty good. 
I don't see Nightwing going out and partying too much. He's you know, too it'd busy. be really funny to be friends with be Silver Surfer. <laughs> uh, be very I mean, funny just to pal around with this guy who's like always serious and philosophical. It would be he could take you to space. It would be really awesome. If you wish to see the stars and remember how insignificant you are, we could do that. I'd be like, yeah. How about we see a movie? Fine. And then uh, one of the Norrin worst Red. friends would be Namor. Oh yeah, just. He, he, gets, he gets mad too easily. He'd be punching us every time we slighted him. <laughs> How about the living brain as a friend? What did you say about Alien? My <laughs> film. Pow, you're through the you're through the glass door, Will. Uh, your ticket, please. Dare you think the king of Atlantis needs to have a ticket for the film? <laughs> uh, what were you saying, Daredevil? Uh, living brain. <laughs> the living brain? No, I don't want to be friends with a uh, robot. What do you want to do, robot? Calculating. The enforcers might be fun. I'm that's sure they're brand for us. Right. They'd be, uh, they, they have, they're humble. I mean, they have to. Yeah. Be. All right. The thing's yeah. probably our answer. Thanks. Great question, though. I, I'd love to hear other people's take on who they'd want to be friends with in comics and why. I think Kitty Pride would be fun to be friends with. She would be, yeah. Everyone wants to be Kitty Pride's friend, though. I can't. I, I know. I don't, with someone, who's, someone who's got too many friends, I don't like. I know what you're saying. You, you, you'd be like friends with one of the coolest people in the Marvel Universe. Yeah, I mean, that's also maybe an issue with Thing, but he's like curmudgeonly enough that like everyone likes him, but I don't I feel know how like much he, he hangs out with people. I feel like he the big group of people and make everybody feel included, you know? Mm-hmm. He's like king of the bar. Uh, let's do a couple more. Uh, oh, this is a good one. So this is a long one. We just got this. Um, this is from J.S. Longstreet. I uh, love the pod. I heard about it early on because Will is one of my favorite comedy bang bang guests. Ooh, thank you. He's, he spelled favorite with a U, so he's British. now we know he's not he's, American. Might be Canadian. Might be Canadian. I, uh, I do better with the Brits than with the Americans. There's a Reddit okay. thread on my recent Comedy Bang Bang appearance, and somebody said, worthless Will Hines. And then it got downvoted by everybody else because they felt bad. <laughs> nice alliteration, though. I appreciate that. Yeah, you know what? It's nice to have a nickname. Uh, anyway, uh, JS is reading our, uh, listening to our second season the uh, fan favorite FF season fan favorite uh, goes, goes down easy <laughs> a bit of backstory. So you'll never hear this because he's so far behind. Uh, I'm the art writer for writer for a web comic Fantasos, but beforehand tried my hand at the Toronto indie comic scene, a small league of graduates from Ty Templeton's uh, comic book boot camp were frequently in communication back then, uh, such as Sam Noir and myself. Sam and I decided to mash up Spy versus Spy and Sherlock Holmes. Holmes versus Moriarty was born. Uh, at first, I would receive scripts from Sam in the industry standard format. It would often be too much information for me to pack into a satisfying layout. By the end of the run, our working relationship had devolved in a good-natured way to do it the Marvel way. He'd pitch a concept. We'd jot down the summary. I'd go off and draw it. Later, he'd letter it. We coincidentally came to this workflow without knowing Spider-Man's history. Hearing you two talk about the crumbling Ditko Lee partnership really made me go back and re-examine my own relationship with Sam. <laughs> While there's no bad blood, I can definitely see where Ditko was coming from in terms of control, ownership, and all that. Collaborations are really hard to maintain and appreciate when you're in the thick of it. I hope Ditko was able to look back at least somewhat finally on his time with Spidey. Cheers, JS Longstreet. Oh, cheers, he's British. Okay. Yeah, uh, I think that's really interesting that he... To someone who worked the Marvel method to sort of he like even though he likes this guy feeling like I could see why I would eventually want think I had more control. Uh, a great modern example: Th- those two are doomed. They will someday no longer speak uh, and not be friends anymore. Yeah, I, I mean, it is interesting. Like, how often do good collaborations last? 
It's where tough. it isn't I, like one person who's like a genius and the other people are just sort of like hanging on. Right, right. It's not like, uh, yes. Um, I think about this all the time, usually in terms of bands. I'm always interested. Sure, yeah. REM lasted for a long time and they always seemed to get along, at least publicly, and they never had any credit battling. And, and but it must do, have do, been that. Do they all write songs, or is it just one guy on REM? It's always credited to REM, so I don't necessarily oh, know who like writes them. I think Stipe generally does the lyrics, and Peter Buck is often the originator of the music. But I don't think it always goes that way. And but I, I don't even know if this is true. But let's say the drummer Bill Berry has the least to do with the songwriting. Wouldn't that upset? Peter Buck, if he's like constructing the chords and the melody, and then how does that work out publishing rights wise? But REM, you never hear about a squabble. Whereas Lennon McCartney, you know, the most successful songwriting partnership in popular music, probably seem to really resent each other and, you know, and really always be trying to take credit from the other one when they do, when they would do interviews. Yeah. And that's way more common. Like that's not sure, particular yeah. to Lennon McCartney. That's like, generally speaking, when you ask somebody who was in a collaboration, what did the other person do? The per- the person you're asking goes, I did everything. I mean, it is, we talk about Stanley so much, but it is like where like Ditko and Kirby both like grew to hate Stan Lee to some extent, but like, would they have if they weren't good together? Yeah. They wouldn't have probably because it wouldn't have been successful enough for that to happen. But because they brought out such good things in each other. And I mean, I do think like as time went on, Stan was doing less and less work. Yes. Which probably leads to being like, why am I not getting more money and more credit? Yes. Um, And that's all very fair, obviously. But the real problem was like Fantastic Four was a good comic. That was the problem. Yeah. If if Fantastic Four was garbage, they wouldn't have had a fight. Right. You don't fight over like, you know, who did the the middle 10 issues of Ant-Man. Let's end on one last email. Well, this is not about comic books. Okay. This is Logan from Kentucky. Hey, love the pod. I'm not a comic book guy, but listening to you two talk about the stories and characters and all of it is really enjoyable. That being said, I was wondering if you two have always had a nice amicable relationship. Hmm. You tend to agree with each other. And I don't think I've ever heard either of you raise your voice over a normal (laughs) speaking tone. My sister and I have always been good friends and still have a good relationship to this day, which I'm very thankful for. But I tell people that that we never fought as kids or had any major arguments or anything like that. And they are so shocked. Anyway, sorry if you've already touched on this, or maybe I've forgotten. Keep up the great work, Logan from Kentucky. How would well? How would you answer this question? I don't think we. I don't. We've never really fought much. I don't. I don't think of us as. We've certainly never had big fights. Never had big fights, and there's never been a point where there was a lot of fighting or continuous fighting. No, I think we get irritated with each other. Mm -hmm. That goes both ways. I don't think there's ever been like a stretch of even like where we weren't talking out of like. No. Anger, right? I don't think so. There's a stretch where I think we didn't talk much because like life. I was in college and and you weren't or vice versa. And then like once we were both out of college, we started connecting again. This is weird to talk about this like on a podcast like publicly, but I mean, I... <laughs> it's the only time we talk. I know. I mean, our general dynamic has always been good. We've always gotten along. I think that's partly age difference. I'm five years older. So like mm-hmm. when we were kids, kids, Kevin, I was like babysitting Kevin. It was like, it, you're not going to, you, you don't have the kind of fights you do. Maybe you and Brian, who are two years apart. Yeah, but with, we don't think we really did either. I mean, I think our growing up, <laughs> our family was had its own issues. So I don't think fighting was top of our list. I mean, I, I, we've talked about our how our mother died when we were young. And I do think when there's a tragedy in the family, it unites the surviving members a little bit. Like we, this to oversimplify it, like it puts things in perspective and you need each other in a different way. Um, yeah, I, I so think like, also- To kind of like just 
compare notes and be like, what's going mm-hmm. on here? And so like, I, I think that is a factor. We also probably just had a roll of the dice. We're, we're pretty similar, right? The three yeah. of us are fairly similar. Like it's not, it wasn't yeah. too hard to get us to get along. Yeah, I think we are generally meek personalities. <laughs> <laughs> you know, too. Like, we're not like, it's not like we're picking fights. I, I've gotten mad at people and there's certainly people that I've gotten yeah. very mad at. Uh, yeah. I don't know if I've, I don't yell really much at anybody. Yeah. Uh, but there's certainly people that I got mad at and didn't talk to for a while or things like that. Uh, but that's pretty rare. And it takes a lot for me to get to that point. But also, like, I don't think I fought with Brian. I think uh, our mother dying when we were so young sort of deadened me for a while. Mm. Where it was like, who am I going to fight with? Why? I'm not doing anything. I'm not feeling yes. anything for a while. You were, you were 11 and he was nine. Yeah. Or 12 and 10, basically. I think having, 12 and 10, yeah. Having that's just it. turned 12 and 10. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think a, that also is a part of it. But it wasn't and, like we were fighting before then. But that is like you're heading into puberty. That is kind of a likely time when you might be irritated with each other. But it's kind of like you go into emergency mode a little bit. I do think that we, when I went to college... And then when because of our ages, when I graduated college, you started going right after that. That eight-year stretch is when we were least in touch. Yeah. I talked to Brian a little bit. Uh, well, for when you were in college, I talked to him because we lived together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I stayed in touch with him a little bit when I was in college because email had just sort of become a thing. I was going to say email got us back in touch because I did not have email until 1994. What year did you graduate college? 97. Yeah, you were at Cornell and I got email. You were one of the only people that I would email with because I didn't even know anybody else who had an email address, who used it. Yeah, our everyone in our college had emails, but only two dorms had internet connections. And I was in one of them because I was cool. <laughs> yeah, cool engineer. Um, yeah, uh, so I had email. But yeah, like you and, but I, we didn't even email that much. I think until no. I was like working at a job, we both had like day jobs. We would email that really helped time. our friendship a lot. <laughs> we yeah. had something to being, avoid <laughs> being bored at work. Um, got us emailing. Yeah. Uh, we do get along. I also, we've also gotten that people are surprised that we get along. Yeah. Frequently when we would do improv shows, people are like, I can't imagine having to do an improv show with my sibling who I hate. Yeah. I love, but hate like that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess we lucked out because all three yeah. of us have done improv and get along. I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Um, but I think, but I also think even when we were like not getting along great, we could put that aside and do it a good improv show. Like we, we knew how to like improvise enough to be like, let's just partmentalize. Like we were never fighting, but like there'd be days mm-hmm. where like, I think yeah. we'd be irritated with each other and be like, well, we still have a show to do. Yeah. And we would do that pretty well. Yeah. I don't know. Um, um it's been a big part, such a part of my life that I don't, it's hard to even answer. It's kind of like, why are, why are your eyes brown? Like, it's just um, like, well, this is the way it worked out. Anyway, but uh, uh, so yeah, the fact that you get along with your sister to us is normal. No big deal. But, you don't get you any know, credit like, from us. My wife gets along with her sister great. That's I don't know true. if they've ever had big fights. Yeah. Um, so it's not crazy. I think it just takes a certain personality. My wife is also sort of like, she's a very tempered, she doesn't get mad very easily. Um there was a time when you and I were working for the same company and taking improv classes at UCB at the same yeah. time. And like the spheres of our life really were like overlapping a lot. And I would say that yeah. was like a five-year period. Yeah. People assumed we lived together too. People used to ask me all the time, is Kevin moving out here to LA when they would see me? And I'd be like, yeah. I don't know why. Cause I'm here. I also, when people asked if we lived together, I'd be like, that would maybe be the thing that would make us fight. If like that- we lived together, I think like then we would have like the roommate things. I, I always tell people it's like, I feel like if I had a roommate who didn't do dishes, I'd be like, ah, that sucks. And if my brother didn't do dishes, I'd be furious. <laughs> like, I, I would hold you to a higher standard unfairly. Could, could so, be. I bet you so would anyway, have been fine. I'm glad we didn't live together. But yeah, we did work together uh, and we did improv together. And we did. We did improv at the UCB, which was like 
a very like immersive, like sort of all encompassing mm-hmm. thing. It wasn't just like we were taking a sculpture class at the same studio. We like entered into a lifestyle. Used to be went out of business because of us, right? I think, yeah, we used up too much of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They put too much energy into us. And we we used it on a podcast. Uh, so that's all the emails for today, guys. If you want to email us, uh, it's screwitcomics at gmail.com. Screwitcomics at gmail.com, everybody. And yeah, oh, leave us a review. Uh, it'd be really nice if you would do that. What are we doing next week? Are we doing one more of these? Or are we? Let's do one more of these. Okay, and then we're going to do our new season, which we'll announce. What's the top, top of next episode? Top of next episode. Let's not do it buried at the end of an episode. Okay, top of next episode, we'll announce our new season. We have decided it. And also, let's go over some current event. Let's go over Moon Knight at the top of the next episode. The TV show. Yeah, that's a good idea because that'll have been over for a week or so. If yeah. we both see St- Doctor Strange, we could talk about that too. That, that might be too spoilery. We can give our take on it. I'll try to see it. I want to see I it. Don't, I don't know if I'll see it. I want to see it. But if, if, uh, but we will have seen one. Yeah. So next week, Moon Knight, Moon Knight for sure. X-Men, and maybe a few emails. Okay, great. Kevin, great job. You too, Will. You jerk. Oh. <laughs> screw it. Screw it. We're just going Hi, I'm Michael McMillan. I'm 6'1", and I'm based in Los Angeles. Ever wonder what life is like for the working Hollywood actor? Every week on Slate Your Name, I sit down with actors, creators, and performers to find out how they're coping with the highs and lows of the entertainment industry. Here, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend's Rachel Bloom talk about struggling with auditioning. I think they just weren't good auditions. The feedback from both was like, I was very green and not good. How Tom Everett Scott booked That Thing You Do with Tom Hanks. Here I am going to meet the guy who I basically am like modeling my whole career after. And, and I'm just like riddled with nerves. It's, it's one of those moments where you're just like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sabotage myself. How Rutherford Falls has Janice Schmeeding broke into the comedy world. One way I was able to sort of do that is by sort of giving comedy this space in my life that was just a hobby. And more. Join me every Tuesday for Slate Your Name from Campfire Media and available wherever you get your podcasts. Campfire.